Welcome to the Healing Circle podcast, where we talk about everything mental health, faith, and relationships. Though this show is hosted by a licensed therapist, that's me, Kobe, I am not your therapist. These amazing conversations are meant to provide psychoeducation and start some good conversation, but they're not meant to be a substitute for real therapy services. We're excited to learn, grow, and talk with you guys. So let's jump into today's episode. Hey y'all, it's Kobe and Kyle and welcome back to the Healing Circle podcast. We missed you guys last week. It was a crazy week for us. Um, We tried to go on vacation. (laughs) Oh God. Got all the way to this beautiful resort um, right outside of um, Cancun, Mexico, only to be there for a whopping 30 hours because our child ended up in the ER and so we had to come back. So... Keep us in your prayers because we're tired. Yeah, the baby's uh, fine. Well, not fine, but he's okay. getting better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's getting better. But um, yeah, we're excited to be back with you guys, back talking. So this is an episode and really a subject that a couple of you guys have suggested, especially after the adultification. So, um, infantilization. You did infantilization. it. Infantilization. I'm so glad was, I said it. I thought it was going to trip you up, but you got it. Yeah, I thought it was going to trip me up too. So infantilization is what we're going to be talking about today. And let's define it really quickly. So infantilization is when an adult is being treated like a child, even though nothing about their mental, physical, social, or intellectual well-being requires such treatment. So this is not about being attuned and attentive to the needs of someone who may have specialized needs. This is not about caring about someone's anxiety or depression and responding in a way that is kind and loving Mm -hmm. and tender to them. This is about literally treating someone um, as if they are at a developmental stage that they're not at, right? It's it's treating a 15-year-old like a four-year-old, treating a 20-year-old like a 15-year-old, right? Um, because those are all in different developmental stages. So, infantilization is literally the opposite of adultification, but it's just as traumatic. So, we talk about how um, in adultification, the treaty of, um, there's not a treaty written in love. The treaty is written in loyalty, right? Mm-hmm. There's a bond that is glued through loyalty. Yeah. And infantilization, this bond, the glue is need, right? Ugh. And fear. Oh, man. That right? doesn't, <laughs> doesn't sound good It's at not all. good. It's not good at all, right? It's kind of like you. we've all seen the Lifetime movie where, like, the mom is, like, making their kid really sick through, like, eye drops because those are poisonous. Kyle's looking at me like I'm nuts. You haven't seen – you haven't heard of that before? No. Okay. So um, eye drops – if ingested are like lethal and they'll kill you in a way. And like, you have to give people drops. This is true crime. I'm not helping anybody do any crimes. Just recalling something I've seen. You have to give people drops in certain amounts so that it makes them really sick, but not sick enough to die. Cause if you give them too much, they can like die in like within a couple of hours. And I you know, can't I taste it. It's just salt water or something. Nah, babe. 
and you can um you can't taste much. it in your food anyways so if you're anything like me you've already seen several episodes of shows like this i think there's one on 911 um was it 911 yeah it was 911 anyway one of those other really weird shows you watch that are basically all the same show i like catastrophe shows even outside of my trauma work i'm like i want to i want to deal with trauma <laughs> we'll get there later so um inventalization is like doing that but in with someone's spirit hmm. right it's like slowly poisoning them emotionally mentally spiritually in a way that keeps them reliant on you because in these shows what happens is these kids can't live normal lives mm -hmm. they go out like rather they can't go out with their friends they can't go play they can't go to dances they can't um socialize they can't progress yeah they they can't progress right because they're so sick mm. and infantilization is the mental equivalent of that right so one thing to know and this is my personal and honestly my professional opinion as well infantilization i think starts as something rather can start as something that happens to us mm. then can then can transform into something that we allow happen to to happen to us. And I don't mean that in like, oh, you allowed yourself to have depression. You allowed yourself to stop being a victim. Yeah. I promise <laughs> you it's not that. So you, yeah. you'll hear my heart. So infantilization comes from our childhood, right? It comes from something in our childhood. It can come from parents who are overbearing and who won't let us grow. And so they do everything for us. Or it can come from just having low self-esteem from bullying or feeling like the odd person out or so it, at the core of it is a low self-esteem. Yeah. Uh, to me, at the core of it is a low self-esteem and loneliness. Right. Or and or loneliness. I'll say that low self-esteem and or loneliness. And. It does not always I'm trying to find the right words to say this because I kind of feel like there's two different types of infantilization when I think about it, mm -hmm. right? There are people who have, who have experienced infantilization in adulthood because of low self-esteem, um, because of other traumatic things. It's almost mm -hmm. like infantilization can be a secondary trauma response. Gotcha. So they've infantilized, they made themselves <laughs> like an infant. Yes. I think that's what happens in adulthood. Gotcha. Right. But I feel like in childhood, you can be traumatized through several things that mm. lead you to be infantilized as an adult, or you can be a completely um, normative child who has high self-esteem, but your parents infantilize you as a child, which mm -hmm. leads you to, to like that as an adult. Does that make sense? Yeah. In my head, there's like, you ever seen like, it's like 18 billion different combinations of Coke that you can taste. It's like Coke orange, Coke. Like, I feel like that because I don't want to say that every person who's been infantilized as a child had parents who infantilized them mm -hmm. because that's not true. And I don't want to say every single person who experienced infantilization in adulthood puts it on themselves because that's also not true. Yeah. Because some of the people who reach out to us are people who are trying to develop that self-esteem, yeah. trying to develop that courage to live life. But what happens is you begin to look around and realize just how much you don't know, just how 
um, socially behind you are with your peers. And it leads you to a place where you become afraid to step out and make a mistake because it's been years since you really tried and failed in front of people, which creates anxiety. Mm. And so it's just easier to rely on someone, which creates this feedback loop. Yeah. Right? So like beyond the, I guess the obvious, beyond someone walking around with a bib and an umbilical cord or something. What, it, what does this look like? Yeah, that, yeah, great question. So someone who has experienced infantilization is someone who has um, been in a relationship where okay. someone with more power or authority over them, and I would say in childhood, someone with more power or authority over them took more responsibility over their livelihood than they should, mm-hmm. which impair their developmental growth. Right? At the core of infantilization is this impairment and this cessation of their developmental growth, right? And this can start at, you know, between two and four, because that's when kids start to begin developing autonomy. We oh, know that because Levi's like, I can do it. Let me do it myself. Bro, kids I can come do download it with the word no. You don't yeah, gotta teach no, them. I want to do it. No. Yeah, right. Straight from the enemy. Or it can come, you know, in our teen years mm-hmm. where we are healthily supposed to push boundaries and and supposed to try new things and develop um thought of our own, um, feelings of our own, perspectives of our own. And if you're parents or guardians or whoever didn't allow you to experience the trial and error mm-hmm. of adolescence. Bro, there's a whole lot more error than uh, trial, but go ahead. <laughs> I feel like it's a lot of trial and a lot of error. Yeah, yeah, both um, with an F. If they don't, uh, <laughs> if they don't um, let you experience that, what happens is the longer you don't experience it, the more anxiety you feel about experiencing it, mm. right? So now you're 15 being treated like an eight-year-old and though like that's like quite odd and not healthy for your brain, not healthy for your, your spirit, not healthy for your self-esteem. What happens is you start to see the gap between like the age that you're being treated and the age that you are. And it becomes so overwhelming, right? This is what makes it so insidious um, when parents do it, mm-hmm. is the longer you do it, the more damage that it creates and the harder it is to get out of it, right? Wow. This is how you have people who are 20 years old but don't know how to make eggs, right? Don't know how to, like, literally don't know how to, like, meet their own basic mm-hmm. needs. Can't boil water. Or, yeah, or can't, you know, like, I remember going to college and I had people in my dorm who had never washed their own clothes before, Right. Lord, now that might, that be my portion. That might be a socioeconomic thing as well, yeah, right? Yeah, and so I don't sure. want to I don't want to just say like, oh, if you don't wash your own laundry then like you're an infant. No, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just saying for some people that could be a symptom of like I have no clue how to take care of myself outside of someone else taking care of me, right? So some of the effects of infantilization are self-doubt. That's a key one. The entire system of infantilization is about killing your courage and creating doubt, right? The moment you develop courage to step out and say, I want to try it for myself, you're either inundated with the reasons why you can't do it, right? Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Have you even tried this? You don't even know this. <laughs> Have you thought about this? Have you considered this, right? Yep, yep, yep. You begin to, to receive this like information that bogs you down and makes you feel like maybe I can't do this. 
Or it puts you in a position where you feel like I'm not good enough. I don't want to embarrass myself. Gotcha. Right? It's really it's sad. So, yeah, it, it sounds... Tom's face just got like just dropped and I was like, yeah, it's sad. It sounds pretty um, crushing yeah. in a lot of different ways. And I imagine like, so when this plays out in a in a romantic relationship, it sounds like a, like a recipe for one of those Lifetime movies your mom likes to watch. Oh my gosh, yes. And Hallmark. So let me finish sharing some of the the effects and then we'll get to that because I feel like that's that's gonna make me go down a whole nother rabbit hole and I don't want to miss sharing the effects. So another effect is extreme anxiety about making decisions. Right? Because guess who never made them? You. Hmm. Someone else always made the decision. And as much as that is beautiful and empowering that we get to make decisions, the reality is when you make a decision, you're responsible for the outcome. Yeah. So what happens is oftentimes the people who are infantilizing someone else what they do is they harp on the responsibility of the outcome, hmm. which makes the person who's been infantilized terrified of making choices because their brain is not thinking about the joy that they may experience by making a choice that's congruent with their value. Yep. Their brain's yep. thinking, if I mess this up, hey, bro. it's over. <laughs> like, it's over for me, right? Lack of confidence, we talked about as well. Identity confusion. Because, so... I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I feel like I really need to like say this quickly. Our small everyday interactions are like these little molecules that create our personality, right? When you think about short-term memory and long-term memory, when I have an interaction with you, a small interaction with you. I have a small interaction with you. And if I keep having enough of those small interactions, my brain's going to consolidate that into long-term memory. What's consolidated Mm. into long-term memory becomes a part of our character. And what becomes a part of our character becomes automated in our body, in our neurological like network. Yeah. So that's like the process of small moments, like going all the way to like, like, part of how we express who we are but what happens when someone starts making all the small choices for you your brain is not getting an opportunity to even develop a sense of character that is not based off of another person Hmm. right so infantilization literally creates a like neurological necessity for enmeshment because it makes you feel like I am nobody and who am I without someone else's decisions, really. And also what happens in adulthood from what I've seen is people get to a place where they realize that they don't, they have no personal character of their own. Mm. They have no personality of their own. Yeah. Their yeah. entire personality. Memes are not a personality trait. Yeah, correct. <laughs> but their entire personality <laughs> is a you know a coalescence of the choices of somebody else yeah which you know by nature makes it not theirs so it sounds codependent too mm-hmm. like it's it sounds- built in codependency is built into it and i think what makes it really sad um and something i struggle with to this day i, I don't struggle with ventilization but i have struggled with um codependence I think that what makes all of this so difficult is the everyday small choices. Hmm. The everyday small choices of what do I want to wear today? 
What do I want to eat today? Because there's a little voice in my head saying what I should do. And I'm having to slow down my life and stop and say, no, I'm not doing what I should do. I'm doing what I want to do. And then having to scour my brain and say, what do I want to do? Right. And even in figuring out what do I want to do, there's a part of my brain that says you have to get it right this time or you're trash. (laughs) Right. Like it's ridiculous, but there's a part of my brain that's like, you have to know exactly what you want to do right now. Figure it out, figure it out, figure it out, which does what increases my anxiety. Yeah. And so for anyone out there who's struggling with like the everyday, not pretty, not cute, not large breakthrough parts of healing, Mm -hmm. the parts of healing that are most important, but least celebrated, I want you to know that it's okay for you to try and figure out who you are and be wrong. To say Mm. my whole life, I thought I liked this, but I'm realizing I don't. Yeah. Like my whole life, I thought I liked doing this, but I realized I don't like that anymore. Or I don't think I ever liked it. Right? Like I remember this is, you know, super, (laughs) a super small example. But like I've like started to try and get my nails done and like keep up getting like my nails and my toes done because sometimes it'd be looking crazy. And I was like, okay, what color do I want? And I literally started getting like heart palpitations because I couldn't figure out what color I wanted. Really? No. I mean, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. But I'm saying yes. no, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Like, yes. I literally was having like like heart palpitations because I could not figure out like what what do I want? What color do I? And there's this weird sense of finality of like, oh my God, what if I pick the wrong color and it looks terrible on me? What if I don't like it? What if I don't like it? Right? So I picked this color and I hated it, right? And it was such a beautiful opportunity and week or two of me like processing and being like, I I don't like this. I won't try it again. And like, it was almost like my brain was, that wasn't even an option. My brain was Mm. processing all the information all the way up till like, and if I don't like it, I'm stuck with it forever. (laughs) You know, like my brain, but my brain never- Where does that come from? Is that a, is it like, is that a parental voice that says like you made a decision now you're stuck with it? Like, what, what is that? Yeah, I think if I'm just being transparent, I think it comes from my childhood that like we came from a big family. We always, mm-hmm. my family is a family of six. We're an immigrant family. We always, until I was like in late elementary school, early middle school, like we lived in a pretty small place and we always had people living with us. Up until I was in college, we always had people living with us, which I loved and I thought it was cool. But like, there wasn't much opportunity for second chances of anything. Mm. Like, it wasn't like you could try something and if you didn't like it, you could try again and get something else. Gotcha. It was like, if you pick this, this is what. So, example, this just popped into my head. Every year we got one pair of shoes, one. That's it. One pair of shoes, <laughs> which, if you know me, hit up my Instagram, Kobe Campbell Please underscore. Don't. It's a problem. You'll know that I am reparenting myself. Nah, bro. I am it's not reparenting my childhood experiences of only having one shoe. Do not one put shoe. positivity but, into this horrible thing. But, babe, but you know, we've had conversations about this. This mm-hmm. It's actually me reparenting because Kyle's like, babe, why are you wearing down these shoes? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. There's a, there's just this part of my brain that says I can't get new shoes until these shoes are are about to literally like fall off of my feet. Mm-hmm. And then 
part of me was like, I have to remember that my baseline for what is good and healthy is corrupt because of my traumatic experiences. And so I have to endure discomfort so that I can experience health. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no if, ands, or about it, about it, right? So I started being like, I'm going to buy a pair of shoes, right? But anyways, it makes me think about when I was, okay, growing up, we got one pair of shoes, right? In the seventh grade, there were these black and white checkered vans. Uh, not black and white, black and gray checkered vans. I can see them in my head. I love them so much and I wanted them so bad. But guess what? We get one pair of shoes. So I get them. And I remember I always got black shoes or white shoes. I never got a shoe because my, my parents would always be like, are you sure? Are you sure? You know, you're going to have these for the whole year. I got them. And y'all about about four days in, I ran out of outfits that could fit with my black and gray checkered slip-on vans. And I just had to start wearing them with every single outfit. Not and the slip-on vans. The slip- I love slip-on vans. I like anything I can do. I'm doop, just doop. seeing in my head, you've got like ankle socks, white ankle socks with the, they're peeking out over mm-hmm. the top of the slip-ons. Yeah, absolutely. With your thick glasses. Absolutely. And your cute little. Your cute little pigtails. I didn't have pigtails. I had Bob. I had a Bob and uh, this guy at school. I won't say his name because, you know, maybe he's changed. We used to follow nah, me bro, around. Whoever he is, F him. No. Yeah. <laughs> he used to follow me around saying, what do you want, God? What do you want, God? Um, but I, the, I got bullied a lot that year. Hmm. And like got made fun of a ton. And it was just like, why are you wearing those stupid shoes? Like, oh, there should go wearing them dirty shoes. But you know what? No one noticed I only had one pair of shoes when I wore black shoes or white shoes. Mm-hmm. But here are these loud, you know, checkered shoes. And then it turns into like, Dan, you you dirty. You wear the same shoes every single day. Dan, your parents broke. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it turned into this like. Well, kids are trash. Kids are mean. So they can be mean. mean. Um. And so it just turned into this, it turned into this thing where, you know, the anxiety after that, I never got a pair of shoes that had color on them again. Cause it was like, I, and I learned my lesson, but, but in my head, you know, yeah. that's one moment that sticks out, but there are several moments that stick out. So, um, I'm going to be honest with y'all. Kyle has this fantasy, fantasy draft very soon. And so we're going to try and speed this up as much as You're possible. You're saying it like it's less important than it is. But that's a podcast Kyle for another time. Kyle has fantasy draft, guys. Thank you very okay, much. You're welcome. I've won my league two of the last three years. I just, cannot. You know, just saying. You so, need help, holla at your boy. <laughs> when you um, experience infantilization, um, you may experience an, like excessive neediness of other people constant be in need of constant contact with other people um you may feel like you are being gaslit all the time because you probably Mm. are um you may find yourself questioning really complicated and simple decisions and you may find yourself experiencing other people downplay your thoughts or your emotions right and so we think about infantilization in childhood. These are people whose parents didn't let them make any choices, Mm. right? Took autonomy from them. And then even past the time where autonomy healthily should be taken from a child, they, they didn't get that autonomy back. Right. Mm -hmm. Usually at the expense of financial support. Well, you go to this college and you do exactly what I say. 
or you're not going to college, right? What kind of, what what 19 year old's going to say, I want to choose what I'm going to wear so that I can not go, you know, so I can lose an opportunity. Right. And what it really does is it weaponizes positive regard for someone, right. To kill their confidence and like bruise their self-esteem. That's done both in childhood and when it appears in adulthood, because I just want to take care of you. I just want the best for you. I just want to love you well. I just want to make sure you have everything you need, right? Weaponizing positive regard. And fear, the fear of like, well, and if I don't take care of you, who's going to do it? Yeah, because you can't do it for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's weaponizing it, and, and you'll see that with, the childhood version, but the adult version, when someone is infantilizing someone else can lead to um, the same things, but also, and this is a hard, hard truth. Sometimes our trauma makes us crave and desire situations that are not best for us. And so it's very possible and really common for someone to infantilize themselves, meaning finding someone who is, is your computer okay? Yeah, my computer started beaming at me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> finding someone who um, we know has it all together, finding a type A person and then befriending them or entering into a romantic relationship with them, knowing that they can replace that type of uh, care and attentiveness to our needs that either a parent did in the past or a parent didn't in the past. Right, we can find ourselves infantilizing ourselves when we don't have parents who are present. So, uh, infantilization in adulthood can be a result of absent parent or overly active parents. Mm. Right, it can be a result of both. And so, and, and I say this not this is not like oh, and people do it to themselves. No, this is saying like you may not even re- it may be a subconscious reflex. You may not even realize it. Right. Yeah. You may not even realize that you keep ending up in friendships where the person's always making decisions for you. If you're going on a trip, they're planning it. If you're doing something special, they're the ones setting it up. Right. Or in a romantic relationship where your partner's always the person doing everything. Yeah. Right. And and for you, it's like, oh, I feel so loved. I feel so cared for. But as you heal, it's gonna feel less caring. Cause you may see how that person responds when you begin to make your own decisions. They don't, they don't agree with it. Yeah. Right. So what does it look like for like, from the perspective, as we try to honor, you guys will notice whenever, whenever we talk about something, if we're talking about codependence, we're not just talking about what it means to be codependent. We also try to help unpack what it looks like for the person on the other side of that codependent aisle. So like we have a sense of what it looks like, to be infantilist and gosh darn it the word <laughs> where we've been saying all yes, that y'all yes, know yes. what it is yeah but like let me like give me a picture into the mind of the person who is infantilizing someone they love mm-hmm. and may not know it or may not be aware of it but at least like they're not they're not malicious with it but like what oh, yeah. is that is it is it mainly people who've been infantilized themselves? No. Themselves? Is no. it like, well, where does that come from? I think I'll be honest. I think that, I think that it can come from, from what I've seen in my own life, to be quite honest. Cause mm. I, I like, as we 
we're kind of talking about this and processing this, I realized that there are friends and relationships I've had where I've infantilized other people. Mm. And whether I recognize it or not, it came from a sense of self-righteousness and self-centeredness. That's the word, right? Because the reality was I felt like I made it to where I was in life because I'd been through so many hard things. I made it to where I was in life because of the specific traits I had. And when I didn't see those traits in them, I felt like they couldn't make it without me. Hmm. You see that you see what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so it turns into this like it's it truly can come from a place of I want to love and care for you, but what it does it's a weaponization of positive regard. It turns into this like way of diminishing their humanity. Like if you, since you're not like me, you just can't get through life without me. <laughs> yeah, you right? wouldn't because somehow I'm the pinnacle yeah, of how yeah. life should be lived, right? And that was really convicting for me. Um, I know I've thought about it before, but I feel like this reiterated for me, like, oh, there are people that I have treated as less than what they are and who they are, not because of their ability or their needs, but because I have felt like, wow, you don't operate like I do. So I don't know how you're going to make it in this world. (laughs) (laughs) And so let me help you out, sis, you know, and, and it's not helpful. Yeah. It's not helpful. It's, it's not only emotionally damaging, but it's biologically damaging, right? What happens if I'm not there? How does this person, I I feel like it's a way of like enslaving someone emotionally Mm. and whether I realize it or not, or whether we realize it or not, it's almost a way of preying on someone's trauma and like, uh, praying seems sounds intentional. Um, maybe playing off of, I'm not entirely sure. I do know that like, it it is like it's almost noticing someone's trauma and instead of responding to it with like the tenderness and attentiveness that it needs individually it somehow turns someone else's brokenness into our responsibility and i think that's where it gets you know unhealthy so when someone infantilizes you um it's about maintaining control over you because whether I want to recognize it or not, it was about me controlling the outcome of their life by making them act more like me because I knew, because I knew the <laughs> say outcome that, of my say life. Say that again. Say, do that. Yeah. Run that back. Yeah. <laughs> it was about me controlling the outcome of their life because I know the outcome of my life. Hmm. Right. It's about taking their pain and making it about me. Right. So when someone infantilizes you, whether it's a parent in childhood or a friend or a partner in adulthood, it's about maintaining control over you. Right. And then on the other hand, you may be drawn to infantilize yourself, one, to um, assuage your fears of abandonment and fear, Mm -hmm. to try and unhealthily reparent yourself if you didn't have a present adult but also i think a lot of people experience this but would not say it out loud and it's okay that's the fun of a podcast no one has to hear (laughs) what you have to say a lot of us can find ourselves infantilizing ourselves to maintain control in a relationship Mm. right to maintain control Mm -hmm. to maintain control so to be the person that gets to determine when needs are met yep to appear helpless and control somebody else by letting them believe that we can't take care of ourselves. Yeah. It's enslaving someone based on their desire to serve and love to our needs. Does that make sense? Too much sense. (laughs) 
I don't want it to make so much sense. Right. So, oh man, I didn't even finish the effects of infantilization because we just kept going. So another effect of infantilization, lack of confidence. I said that identity confusion. I said that inability to commit to things. Right. You kind of have to know what you want and don't want to commit to something. Right. And then also lack of direction in life. So people who have had parents, partners, friends who've infantilized them are people who are struggling at this point. Like if you're hearing this and you're wanting to reparent yourself, you are struggling to figure out who am I without anyone else? Who am I? And I know, again, I don't struggle with infantilization, but I struggle with codependency. And I've found that it's harder for me to connect to friends in long term because I was so deeply affected by what my friends liked or didn't like in different seasons of my life Mm -hmm. that I find myself wanting to be alone so I can figure out what I like when no one's around. You know, like I'll find myself like I like I want to go out to eat by myself. I don't want to go out to eat with a friend because I want to figure out what do I want to do? What do I want to eat? What do I want to drink? Like things as small as that. I didn't realize. Absolutely. I didn't realize how deeply influenced I was um, for fear of abandonment, for fear that I wouldn't have friends, for fear. And then you know what happened? I revolve my entire life around friends and being liked. And then guess what happened? I ended up in a season where I had no friends. <laughs> and I was like, dang, I can do all that and people can still leave me? Yeah. yeah. It's a part of life, unfortunately. And so now I'm at, I think, like my therapy with Adrian, I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, what do I want? So even the smallest of things, like when we get done recording, do I want to wash my hair? Do I want to read a book? Do I feel like I should wash my hair, but I actually want to write, read a book? Like it requires such a slowing down. And so I empathize with people who've experienced infantilization because there are people who are not only having to deal with the internal turmoil of who am I, but the relational weight of shame of having to explain. How do you explain to someone why you don't know all the things everyone else, everyone else around you knows? Right. Yeah. In most situations, we would say to someone like, "Hey, your trauma is yours. You don't have to share with anyone you don't want to share it with." But how do you share with someone that you don't know how to pay a bill? How do you share with someone that you don't know how to log into a credit card portal to make a payment? Mm-hmm. How do you share with someone that you've never paid a water bill before? How do you share with someone that you've never gotten your oil changed? Yeah, you don't know how to shop for groceries. Correct. Like, like, how do you share that with someone without uncovering yourselves? So there's like this sense of shame and this sense of fear relationally and interpersonally on top of this sense of sadness and grief from what they lost because they won't get that back. Mm -hmm. But also like this sense of hopefully courage um, in the midst of fear of and how do I catch up? And how do I begin to live life? As someone who is 26, 28, 29, 32, now that I've spent my entire 20s being treated like I was 10. That's scary because life is not kind to anyone. It's not. You know, rich, poor, pretty, not as pretty, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's not kind to anyone. And Kyle, you know more than anyone how easily 
because both of us, we can have a super Superman complex. Me? Kyle Campbell. <laughs> Do not make me expose you on these airways. <laughs> Do not make me do it. Like, we can get to a place where we think, I just really want to love and serve this person, but really we're trying to rescue them, and we don't yeah. even realize it until afterwards. Yep, yep. Now imagine us being friends with someone who's inventalized. What would we naturally do? We would perpetuate it. Yeah. We would continue to infantilize them. Right? Oh man. Uh-huh. Which now is it's about me now. Uh-huh. Dang, bro, come on. And that's why it's so important for us to oh. have these conversations because there are people in our lives who are struggling and the, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is let them. There are people who are asking questions and sometimes the most loving thing is to not give them the answer even that's if That's real have life. It. And that's really hard because it feel it doesn't feel like love, right? Yeah. Right? Like not it feels like abandonment. Yeah. Especially for, you know, like my saviorism comes from feeling abandoned and wanting to be the person yep. that swoops in and saves the day for other people that feel abandoned. So it, you know, becomes its own its own cycle of dysfunction if I mm-hmm. connect to someone who's infantilized. Yeah. Yep. Ew, ew, gross. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you just you just nailed the nailed, hit the nail on the head, right? <laughs> Cause who's who's gonna be drawn to someone like you? <sighs> yeah. And yeah. infantilized individuals. Right, right. So we wanna talk next week about how to reparent infantilization. We talked about some of the barriers, some of the reasons, some of the situations. We can be infantilized by other people in childhood and adulthood. It can be with our parents. It could be with uh, a partner. It could be with, mm. between friends. It could be between siblings. Um, or we can infantilize ourselves, whether that's to gain a sense of control so that we don't experience abandonment, or if it's because we feel like I don't know how else to live. Wow. Right? We can do that. So we're going to talk next week about reparenting. Guys, I think I have one more spot left in Oasis. Um, by the time this goes live on the airwaves, it might be gone. <laughs> but in these airwaves, bro. <laughs> the airwaves. Um, but I'll let you guys know. Uh, reach out to me. Link a bio. Um, why did I say link in bio? Reach out to me in the link in the show notes. Dang, my little Instagram brain. Um, link in the show notes and my email should be in the show notes. So if you're interested, let me know. Because we had so many crazy, kind, generous people in our community, mm. we we're able to provide some scholarship spots. So if you want that one scholarship spot, please reach out. Um, I'll share more information information about it. Why can I never talk, Kyle? Can it's, you? Un- I just don't understand. Every time I get on this mic, it's like my mouth is like, "Listen, sis, I'm about to show you something. Watch." Um, yeah, we're so excited to be back <laughs> talking to you guys, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, until the circle comes back around. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you, guys, so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked our conversation, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so we can get the word of healing out to as many people as possible. Visit the show notes to stay up to date on our mental health workshops, yearly retreats, Oasis is Bomb, and connect to us on social media. 
We'll chat with you guys soon until the circle comes back around. 